for tuning in to the 406th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day with it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, IR Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, or whatever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, per usual. Going to have a great podcast for you guys. Going to have Gina Thomas, big Falcons fan. Uh, covers the Falcons, editor for Falcons SBN Nation. This was an interview that happened last week. We had a great conversation. We talked about the Falcons uh, just as an organization. Matt Ryan being an underrated quarterback. The 28-3 meltdown that happened. How did she feel as a Falcons fan? She's also an Ohio State football fan, so we talked about that a little bit. Urban Meyer, all the stuff that went on there. Uh, so it was a really interesting conversation. I enjoyed having her on. Uh, before we get to the conversation... Gonna give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify. Every part of this podcast is timestamped, so you can press on whichever part of the podcast you most like to listen to. It's for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at nitrin underscore lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane and you will find it. And lastly, but most importantly, probably, give me five stars and a great review if you have Apple or iTunes. And for some odd reason, or if you don't like the podcast, then don't say anything. Because here's what my mom always told me. She said, Daryl, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Gina Thomas. Kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Despite the fact that he led his high school to four straight state championship game appearances, very few high major recruiters looked at the six foot tall, 180 pounder and said, Quarterback. Throw it on a dime, like you ain't even trying. Just a kid from Briarwoods, I'm wearing number nine. And Coach Franklin down at Vandy, flipped to Happy Valley. Back with Barbershop Sports Talk, we have a very special guest with us today, Gina Thomas, editor for Falcons SBN Nation. How are you doing, Gina? I am doing great, and thank you so much for having me. So, the first question I have to ask you is, Calvin Ridley and insider trading. So, what was your reaction when that whole story came about? Well, my uh, my first reaction was, of course, this is breaking right, right when I'm supposed to go into a meeting. Um, because I was like, I need time to process this. Um, yeah, I, I was disappointed. I think that it's very well known that NFL players are not supposed to bet on NFL games. It's in the standard NFL contract. Um, players and team personnel, right down to like the people who write for the team website, are reminded before the start of every season, hey, you're not allowed to bet on NFL games. Um, And so, you know, I I think that it was disappointing. I do think that um, a whole season is a little bit steep. It's in keeping with precedent. Um, Everybody who has 
gotten caught for this. There were only four other players in history. Um, but they've all been suspended for a full season at least. But it was $1,500. And the NFL is raking in hundreds of millions of dollars on betting partnerships. So I think it's just, you know, it's a really disappointing situation. Ridley should have known better. But I think that there's a bigger conversation to be had about the league taking the moral high ground in a situation where they're making an estimated like $270 million off of betting partnerships. So how exactly did they find out he was gambling? So was it linked? Did he have like an online account that was linked? Like how did they find out? Okay, so he was gambling on the um, the Hard Rock app, the Hard Rock Sportsbook, which at the time, Calvin lives in South Florida in the offseason. And at the time, I guess that it was legal for about a month in Florida, this app was. And the NFL pays a company, and the name escapes me right now, but they pay them essentially to monitor the stuff for that. And Calvin placed a bet under his own name with his credit card. And what flagged it to the company that tracks this for the NFL is that the league had him as, you know, supposed to be in Atlanta because it was in season. They didn't update this information with this company. So it flagged him because he was in South Florida. He was out of state. And they sent that information to the NFL, and that was that. Wow, that's interesting. So how do you feel about that? Because you did mention that about the NFL kind of trying to take the moral high ground, and should they take the moral high ground? Because, right, trying to legalize trying to legalize gambling, obviously, so much money. They move a team to Vegas, uh, yes. and the NFL has always been about monetary purposes more so than the... You know, the high ground with all the owners and just encompassing everything that's gone in the NFL for the last decade and a half. Like, you can go through so many other things. And it's like, you know what I mean? So how do you feel about all that? Well, you know, I believe in personal accountability. So I think that Ridley is responsible for his actions. Um, I think that in the context of the fact that he was away from the team, he did not have any inside information that would have impacted his success. The league admitted this when they... They did a full investigation into it. That's what the league determined. Um, but, you know, I think that when you look at a full season suspension and then you look at, like, the, what's supposed to be the baseline suspension for if a player commits physical violence against somebody, whether that's, you know, domestic violence, um, sexual assault, anything like that, six games is supposed to be the baseline minimum. They almost never actually give out that minimum it's almost always two to four games even josh brown the former giants kicker he's been out of the league for a number of years now because of this but he only got a two-game suspension even though the giants were aware that he had like a years-long documented history of basically terrorizing his wife and they were fine with giving him two games for that um and so i think that when you're looking at this from the context of you know the league is obviously okay enough with gambling that they're, they've entered into all of these partnerships, moved the team to Vegas, all of that stuff. And then you look at the context of what Calvin Ridley actually did, the fact that the league found that he did not have any inside information to even use when betting um, on, you know, when, when betting these parlays. And uh, then you compare his suspension with people who get suspended for things that actually have done harm to other people. I just think that the league... And I think that this this can be applied a lot of ways. The league has its priorities in the wrong place. Yeah, and I think part of that too probably is because 
I think they wanted to send a message, which you can make on what type of messages are they sending, right? Like, you could send that same right. message with sexual assault and domestic violence and other yes. stuff. But they're sending that message, like, don't gamble, because here's what's going to happen if you gamble. Like, they showed, like, they're really not playing with the gambling stuff. That's like, yes. no bueno, no, 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 no. Don't do well, that. I suspect, I, I, I suspect, and this is not anything I know, this is just, like, my own conspiracy theory, but um, I, I believe that the league did come down so harshly on Calvin, despite the context around, you know, this situation, because he is the first player to ever get caught doing this after they have entered into these betting partnerships. So I think that for the league, it's, I think to some extent, it's performative. They have to say, yes, we still take this seriously, even though we are bringing in, <laughs> you know, nine figures annually on these betting partnerships. If he was betting on the Falcons, or if he was betting for the Falcons to lose him, that's even worse. Then how long do you think? Do you, yes. Then you think he would have been out the league? That would. I been. still. Well, I think that he might. You know, I think at this point, Calvin is probably still going to be able to salvage his career. He's a very talented player. I do not think that this is going to, you know, really diminish interest in him past this year. Which <laughs> that's because he's suspended. Um, but I do think that because he did bet on the Falcons, but it was only one leg of one of those parlays, which I mean, I don't know, just for, uh, I'm not even that familiar with betting, but a parlay is you've got to hit multiple things. So it could be like, you know, Cooper Cup scores the first touchdown in the Rams game, and it could be, you know, the Falcons beat the Jaguars. Um, any, like it could be any range of things. And so he bet three different parlays and the Falcons winning, they were only, uh, you know, one leg of that. But still, um, I think that, you know, if you're betting on your team to lose, that definitely raises more questions around the integrity of the game. If you're betting on your team to win, you're not even playing because you're on the non-football injury list. You know, I don't think that that really calls the integrity of the game into question. And actually, to go back to this really quickly, when you mentioned things about sexual assault and domestic violence, would be really interesting, too, is if you... When the whole, because I think Deshaun Watson's gonna have his court hearing soon the next few weeks. Once that starts yes. getting cleared up, it's like, oh, does Deshaun not get suspended? And then you have this happen. It, because I, I've heard some people say that they don't think Deshaun might get suspended at all when all that stuff clears up. Yeah, and he may not. They may just look at the fact, you know, that he hasn't started um, and just say, oh, good enough. You know, he he he's done enough. Um, yeah, he's going to go in front of a grand jury on Friday. And so the grand jury, this is the point at which they will decide if he should be charged, how many charges and what types of charges he should face. So whatever comes out of that, grand juries, especially with cases this large, they can take, you know, a number of days. I don't know that we'll know anything by this weekend, but I would say by sometime next week, we'll have a really good idea of what's going to be happening with Watson next year. And it's really interesting because it sounds like the Panthers are very interested in pursuing him. Um, so, and I, you know, I'm sure that there are other teams that would be interested too, if he's cleared. And so it's going to be really interesting. Do you think the NFL will suspend him though? Or do you think they will just I, say, you know, I think, I think will but i think that they will suspend him for six games total six games total. i think that i think that for him and i think you know after this ridley thing where they gave him you know a full year i think that they would have to stick to their own minimums and i think because watson is such a high profile player and was really you know the the default face of the texans before this happened um yeah i think that they're going to want to make an example out of him 
So how would you make of Arthur Smith's first year as head coach of the Falcons? Well, you know, there are a lot of factors here. Um, obviously, you know, it, it's not like they were playoff. I mean, I, they almost, they barely missed the playoffs because of the expanded playoffs. I thought that it was good. You know, it was a big improvement over the previous season. There is a talent deficit. Uh, they did lose Ridley in October, um, traded away Julio Jones before the season started. And so, you know, it was a very different team. They had a lot of challenges along the offensive line. Um, the defense has not been good for years. You know, you have some pieces here and there that are really, really good, like HHRL. Um, but they haven't had a pass rush forever. So I think that, you know, this year was pro- – I looked at it kind of as an opportunity for Arthur and his staff to assess what they had and then make some decisions about, you know, what they wanted to do this offseason to fill some of these holes to, um, you know, to strengthen some of these weaknesses on both sides of the ball. Um, so I'm really interested to see how things go next year. I One thing that I did really respect about Arthur Smith this season is that it didn't feel like the Falcons gave up um, nearly as much as, as they used to. They still lost some really stupid games in really stupid ways, but they also, like, when they played the Saints in New Orleans, um, you know, they were able to hold on and win that game, and that game was a classic type of game that the Falcons blow at the end, and then, you know, people are cracking jokes about it in my mentions for seven years. And so, yeah, um, I am really interested to see what he's going to do in year two, and especially if he can get the offensive line functioning a little bit more effectively, I think that the offense, at least, will be much improved. How much do you like him instead of Dan Quinn? Well, I love Dan Quinn. Um, I, I was credentialed with the Falcons when, and I was covering them full time as a beat writer when uh, Quinn was hired. And so I got to know him very well over his time here, and I really like him a lot. But um, I just think that Arthur Smith, Matt Ryan's never had an opportunity to work with an offensive minded head coach in his entire career. And he's been an excellent quarterback. He's, you know, usually very consistent, he's very dependable, uh, he's extremely durable. But he's never gotten to work with an offensive-minded head coach, and he got saddled with Dirk Cutter as an offensive coordinator twice. <laughs> so even when he did have, you know, um, he didn't even have much help from the coordinator position. But, um, yeah, so I like that Arthur Smith is, I like his background along the offensive line. Um, I like the things that he did in Tennessee. I'm just really, and I mean, just look at um, Cordero Patterson. The season that he had last year is entirely because Arthur Smith knew how to use him. And um, so, yeah, I have a lot of respect for him. I'm really excited to see how this team develops over the course of this offseason, looking forward to the draft. Free agency, not so much because the Falcons are poor. But, um, yeah, looking forward to just seeing how they plan to approach building this roster the way that Arthur Smith wants it built. Yeah, they use Cordell kind of similar like out of San Francisco used the Debo this past year, mm-hmm. kind of like this chess piece, you move, move all over the field and they, they can do a lot of different things. Uh, yeah, yep. Matt Ryan, do you think he's the most underrated QB in the NFL? I don't know. Um, I think that that's, that's a really good question. I do think that he is underrated. Um, you know, I also, and this is probably because I'm too online, but, you know, you see these debates about quarterbacks and you're just like, I mean... You know, like, people were like, oh, Joe Burrow's not that good, and people make excuses, and they're like, have you been have you been watching? 
Um, yeah, I think that Matt Ryan is underrated. When you look at his performance over time, like I said, he's very consistent. Um, and he's a really good leader. He's really committed to the team. I think that he, yeah, he is fantastic. Um, the guys at the Alcoholic were talking today about, you know, the possibility of him being traded. And I'm like, please do not talk about this on the heels of Ridley. <laughs> like, everything that happened. Give me at least some space to get my emotions together. I can't talk about Matt Ryan being traded. What's the craziest thing you've heard online with quarterbacks that have just oh made you scratch your head? G- g- give me a few that you were just like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I saw, and I wish that I could remember who this was. Some guy put out his, it was his top 40 quarterback rankings. Which oh, Chris like, Sims? It, no, it was not Chris Sims. Okay. I don't know who, I don't think that it was. I think that this was some guy that I had not heard of. Okay. And it just happened across my timeline. But he had um, he had Carson Wentz <laughs> ranked ahead of Matt Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that that was a timely one to share, and you know Wentz was only a couple of spots above Matt Ryan, but he should not be above Matt Ryan. That had to be the wildest thing. I mean, every week from Falcons fans, you get that Matt Ryan is, you know bad and he's the reason the team loses like that stuff is all nonsense too but ranking Carson Wentz above him was just the silliest thing that I have ever seen yeah Carson Wentz over Matt Ryan that <laughs> doesn't make much sense yeah Matt Ryan's a guy who I don't think people really appreciate he's one of those guys that I think people will never really realize how good he actually was uh, okay. because he was never quite as good as guys like Tom Brady Drew Brees you know, those top-tier guys. But, like, then there's that next echelon. And he's right in that next echelon of guys. And I think, sadly, people will... Because people remember Tom Brady. People are going to remember Ben Roethlisberger. People are going to remember Russell Wilson. But people aren't going to necessarily remember Matt Ryan. When people realize, like, Matt Ryan was really, really freaking good for, like, a decade plus. And that doesn't happen a lot. Like... It doesn't. I do just want to touch on something that you just said. You know, those other quarterbacks that you mentioned that people will definitely remember them. And you're right. And I totally agree that, you know, those guys are top tier and Matt Ryan is like second tier. But what all those guys have in common is they have won a Super Bowl at least, at least one. And Matt Ryan's only Super Bowl appearance has been the 28-3 game. And even though that really wasn't his fault that loss I don't think is on him um he did take a sack at a very bad time but also Devontae Freeman missed the block like there was a lot of blame to go around but I think that that's kind of what people are are left with as far as their memories of Matt Ryan and I think that that's part of the reason that he is underrated you know that was the season that he won MVP he had a phenomenal season in 2016 but people don't remember that either because what they remember is 28 to 3 and I think that that is really unfortunate hopefully and as a Falcons fan I I say this genuinely hopefully they do get to a Super Bowl Brian and hopefully that hopefully he gets to win one so that people aren't just left with that 28 to 3 memory because I always tell people, you can do a lot worse than Matt Ryan. Like, it, it gets a lot worse than that. Like, if, if Matt Ryan only has, like, may not be Tom Brady, but, like, there's not a lot of guys who are better than Matt Ryan. Like, objectively, just yeah. better than Matt Ryan. Yeah, and I mean, if you go back through his career and look at how consistent he was, and then if you look at the defensive rankings, you know, against his stats every year, and, like, especially um, his touchdowns, you know, you've got, when you've got a defense that's giving up, like, 30 points a game, there are very few quarterbacks can win enough games to uh, to 
you know, be in the hunt for playoffs. Yeah, then it goes into, like, if you cross careers like Joe Flacco was a peer of his, I mean, when you look back at it, mm-hmm. there are probably people who will say they were pretty close, but I don't think it was ever really close between those two. I think Matt Ryan was clearly better. I, I think there's yeah. a guy, and I know a lot of people love Eli. I think Matt Ryan was, I know Eli has two Super Bowls. He has those big moments, but I don't think Eli was a better quarterback than Matt Ryan. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as far, especially as far as just the consistency. I think that that's really his most valuable attribute. What do you think the perception of Matt Ryan is with Falcon fans as opposed to kind of like just NFL fans? Um, Falcons fans, it's, <laughs> Matt Ryan is an extremely polarizing topic. Um, there are a large number of Falcons fans who absolutely hate him. And there are a lot of factors here. Um, you know, one, I think that people had a, and I will admit that I was one of these people, people had a hard time moving on from Michael Vick because he was just such a, oh, such an incredible talent. Michael Vick is the reason that I fell in love with the National Football League. I mean, he's he was an incredible, incredible player. So people had a hard time accepting that transition. And it's funny, to the point that Vick, even in that 2016 season, um, he did this interview and he was like, you know, I want the people who hate on Matt Ryan because of me to stop. Like, Matt and I are friends. We respect each other. And, yeah, so anyway. Um, and... Listen, I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I completely forgot what your question was. <laughs> the perception. I'm so sorry, it's been a long day. The perception between what people think That's of right. Matt Ryan in terms of Falcon fans versus uh, NFL fans. Yeah, so, you know, you have a lot of people who had a hard time embracing Matt Ryan, and then you have the people who I think, you know, maybe just don't understand um, some of the nuances of what makes an offense good and <laughs> what makes a team good and then they hate Matt Ryan because they blame him for um the team's lack of success and then you have a bunch of people who love Matt Ryan um and I do think that that's the larger percentage but yeah like nationwide I think that people think that Matt Ryan's kind of you know belt toast kind of boring um you know he's not an exciting quarterback uh and you know he's okay but the falcons are bad you know so he'll never be considered for the hall of fame or anything like that um yeah so i think that that's that's at least what i've gathered as far as like the national uh perception of him do you think he'll get traded do you think he'll be the quarterback next year i do because his dead cap situation is going to be a nightmare and Nobody is going to take on his contract at this dollar amount, I don't think. Um, Plus, you know, Arthur Smith really likes him. And I also think that with Ridley gone and they don't have a whole lot of talent, you know, I I mean, they're going to have to do something about this receiving core because their free agency is all, it might gut them. And so um, I think that it's just better if you have a stable veteran leader in a situation like that, you know what I mean? Unless somebody is willing to offer something absolutely ridiculous, I think that Matt Ryan will definitely be in Atlanta next year. So let's talk about this, and you hinted at this a little bit. Uh, 28-3 in the Super Bowl. So if we're ranking the blame game, who deserves, like give me the top three people, who deserves the most blame, second most blame, third most blame for that? Um, You know, I think uh, at the top of the list is Dan Quinn. Um, And I think that that's just, by default, you know, 
first of all, he was, it was his defense um, that they were running, and it was his defense that blew a 25-point lead. And so I think that Dan Quinn has to be at the top of the list. Um, second is Kyle Shanahan, because when you are in field goal position and you have an opportunity to put the game away, you don't get cute. You don't start passing the ball. You just run the ball three times. You let Matt Bryant kick a field goal, and then 28-3 never happens. Um, and so I think, as you can tell, I'm still a little bit salty about this. Uh, so, yeah, I think Kyle Shanahan's number two. Number three, it's got to be Devontae for missing that block, or else it's Jake Matthews. They're probably tied for three because Jake Matthews had a holding call against him, and then Devontae missed that block. Ryan took that sack. I mean, it was really that, that series right there that lost the game for the Falcons. So, yeah, that's, I think that those are, that's where I place the blame. In that order. And it's really interesting with the whole dynamic of Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan. At some point during that game, you have to think. Because I also my thing with Dan Quinn is I get he's not the one who calls the offensive plays and he, he runs okay. the defense. But at some point, you know, he's the head guy. Like, he's the boss. He just let yeah. a Kyle Shanahan do whatever. He's not in the headset. Like, what the F are you doing? Like, run the and ball. I will say that was always a pretty consistent um, complaint from Falcons fans about Quinn while he was the head coach because there were a lot of and it wasn't it was especially when um, when they did bring back Dirk Cutter and Dirk made a lot of really questionable play calls and Quinn would never intervene and I think you know I've been delighted to see Quinn go to Dallas and I think that he's done you know incredibly well there I'm so happy for him um, but I think that he is some people are just better coordinators than head coaches and I think that he is one of those people. That's true, because I think of Bill Belichick, and I'm like, if Josh McDaniels was doing that, Bill Belichick would get in his headset, and he'd be like, no. <laughs> no, that's, exactly. that's not what we're doing. No, no. Like, I'm the head coach. I'm the boss. No. <laughs> yeah, he would not hesitate. So, you give Matt Ryan none of the blame at all? Um, I mean, I know that... I, I, okay, let me take a step back really you've got you know 11 guys on the field at at any time so yeah Matt Ryan shares some of the blame um I just think that my brain has locked in onto those specific things and especially that one series and maybe I put Matt you know on par with Devontae and um and Jake Matthews because you know he shouldn't have taken that sack that he shouldn't have taken that sack and so yeah it's just Ugh, what a mess. As a fan, and you're watching this game, at 20-3, to 3, are you thinking, like, we got this? Like, let's pop out the <laughs> champagne. Like, this is going to be super, super fun night. Like, <laughs> So I was, um, at the time, I was covering the NFL um, nationally for SB Nation. And so my whole team, we were all at our offices in D.C. watching the game from there. And um, one of my coworkers at the time, Harry Lyles Jr., is also from Atlanta and also a Falcons fan. And so Harry and I are sitting next to each other, and our coworkers kept being like, oh, you know, aren't you guys excited? Like, why aren't you just celebrating? And Harry and I were like, have y'all ever watched this team? Have you ever seen them play? Like, this game is, we are not going to feel comfortable about this until time has expired. Um, it didn't matter how much they ran up the score because in our souls we knew 
that 28 to 3 could happen. So at least we were emotionally prepared for it. But yeah, it was rough. So at what point during the second half were you guys like, what the hell is happening right now? Oh, uh, at no point because we were both like. So you're already in that mode, like it's too good to be true. Oh, yeah. Yes, and that doesn't mean that it didn't break my heart. Like, um, I, you know, after the game was over, I told my editor I needed two minutes, and I went into the bathroom, and I cried. <laughs> I spent a timer on my watch. Like, I was very upset. But, um, yeah, it just, I just knew. I mean, it was too good to be true. The Falcons don't win games that go like that. They don't win games, typically. I mean, that it's a very, very rare thing. I can think of... Um, they beat the Bucks a few years ago, fifty-six to fourteen, but that wasn't in the Super Bowl, and the Buccaneers were terrible then. Um, you know, and especially against the Patriots, I knew not to get my hopes up. Did that game seal Tom Brady being the goat for you? Actually, I thought that he was the goat before that. I, you know, I, I can't stand him. My husband is a Patriots fan, and so I try to like not make fun of him too much, but he's just ugh. Tom Brady is the worst, but I do think that he is the greatest football player of all time. Even from just the, I know you always, you know, the Falcons have a propensity to maybe blow leads, but even from the Patriots' perspective, where you're like, I'm kind of watching greatness right now, like what Tom Brady's doing, like this oh, isn't yeah. supposed to happen, like what is going on? Well, um, yeah, and actually the way that I was thinking about it was, well, this is really cool to be on this side of NFL history, and like... <laughs> We are watching history being made. This is incredible. Um, but, yeah, of course that has to be against my favorite team. Because <laughs> it, it reminded me of that game, remind, that first half at least, reminded me of the Seahawks-Broncos Super Bowl. And I was like, when the, and Seattle ended up just routing Peyton Manning and the Broncos. I was like, that's how this is going to go. And then I was like, nope, it's not going to go that way. Tom is not going to let it. Right? <laughs> well, and, I mean, I had have, I have written, I think, actually that year, about Tom Brady's comeback wins in the Super Bowl. And he had already had, like, three of them at that point. I think that three of the five that he had won were comeback wins. Um, so, yeah, like, that's it's just his thing. I mean, that guy. I'm so glad he retired. <laughs> I'm so tired of him. <laughs> Did you think after that run, after that game, that Brady would win two more and he would, you know, have at least, he had almost another half decade of, like, really high-level play. Yeah, it's incredible. And the thing is, I he didn't drop off at all this year, or in 2021. And so the fact that he's retiring now, he is genuinely going out on top. And I respect that. I mean, I, I think that it's amazing that we never had to watch Tom Brady decline. I think he's hanging it up at a good time. Do you think so? You think he's officially done? You don't think he's going to come back? Because I think I've, I've heard some people say, oh, "I don't know." Like he, the way he kind of seems, he, he seems like he's kind of half in, half out on it. So what you have to understand about Tom Brady is that he is messy and he loves drama, and so it is entirely possible, entirely possible that he does come back. I could see him coming back and you know playing for the Patriots again. Who knows? I mean, what? It's possible. I hope that he stays retired. I wish him a very happy retirement. I do not want to see him play anymore. Because <laughs> the way it sounded to me, I think he was on a podcast. I think it might have been. I'm, I'm forgetting the guy's name. Uh, but he was on somebody and they asked him, like, would you come back? And he was like, you know, like, who knows what the future holds? And it was kind of like, 
He was saying probably not, but he wasn't saying emphatically no. And it's like, you know, some things are just yes or no. Like, do you love your kid? Yes. Yes, not I don't know. Like, do you want to keep working here? Yes. Like, nah. like there's just some things that are like yes and no, not, you know, we'll see what the future holds. Yeah, no, you just retired, you made a big deal about it, and you retired, you retracted the retirement and said that it wasn't a real retirement, then you retired again, like, we've already been through this whole thing, Let you're done, you're not allowed to come back. <laughs> How do you think that Falcons loss affected the team the next year? Um, actually, I was very impressed the next year, I thought that they bounced back um, really well. Uh that was the year that in the first game of the season, I think that they lost both starting safeties uh, with um, one with an ACL tear and one with an Achilles tear. And so, like, it it started off really rough, but they still made the playoffs, and they went to L.A. They beat the Rams in the wild card round. And then for the divisional round, they lost in Philadelphia, but it was a close game. They gave them a fight. And so the fact that they made it back to the playoffs and, you know, because the Falcons were here uh, throughout Mike Smith's tenure, they could not win a playoff game. And so, I mean, they didn't win one until, gosh, 2014, I think. And um, anyway, so, or no, it must have been 2012. But yeah, he, um, I lost my train of thought again. I'm so sorry. I am exhausted. (laughs) I did not sleep last night very well. Uh, I was just asking you, how did, uh, do you think the Falcons losing the Super Bowl affected the Falcons? Oh, yeah. Um, so, no, I th- yeah, I think that they did bounce back really well. The fact that they were able to get back to the playoffs, actually win a playoff game after that was such a struggle for them in the past. Um, and then, you know, it was a close, hard-fought game against the Eagles that they lost. And so, yeah, I think that they bounced back really well. It was just the year after that that they completely went off the rails. So you mentioned the Michael Vick experience is what kind of got you into the Falcons, right? Mm-hmm. So just explain the Michael Vick experience. Um, well, and I think that the Michael Vick experience is the way to describe it. Um, he just was such a, tra- a transcendent player. And my first NFL game, um, because I was always just a college football fan growing up, and so the first NFL game I ever went to was when I moved to Atlanta in 2005. And, of course, Vic was starting, and um, he was just electric. I mean, I have never seen an athlete like that, except for maybe Julio Jones. I mean, I think that his athleticism is pretty close in, in a different way. But just Vic's speed and his agility, and oh, he was just so much fun to watch. And the city loved him. The city rallied behind him. Um, and even when he would, you know, get into shenanigans, like, he got caught with maybe some weed at the Miami airport, and we were all like, eh, who cares? You know, it's weed. Like, we stuck up for him all the time. And then when he was um, arrested and charged for dog fighting and all of that happened, it was devastating. And that was really because then they drafted Matt Ryan right after, in the following draft, after the whole uh, Bobby Petrino experience. Um, what a mess the Falcons have been through in the past couple of decades. Um, but yeah, so, but now Vic, it's been really nice to see. Like, he's been embraced by the team again. Um, he's come back he, he, to be honored, you know, with other former Falcons. Um, and like I said, I, he's 
become like a really outspoken advocate for Falcons fans to support Matt Ryan, which is, I really respect that from him because I know that it was very hard for Vic. He has said, um, when he found out the Falcons drafted Matt Ryan, I, I think that he was hoping that he would be able to serve his sentence and then go back and, and play for the Falcons again. And, uh, so yeah, I think that Michael Vick is kind of the quintessential Falcons quarterback and he and Ryan are very different, but I think that, you know, they're both kind of entrenched as the faces of the franchise. Who do you think people love more? It just depends on the person. I, you know, I think that I I love them both the same. Um, you know, Vic has really impressed me. I've gotten to interview him a couple of times, and just the way that he has learned and grown from his experiences. And um, like I said, I mean, he's just a stand-up guy. I really respect the way that he still supports the team, even though they did move on from him at, you know, arguably the lowest point of his life. And so, you know, you could be bitter about that or you could, you know, carry carry a grudge with you. And he hasn't done that. I really respect that. Was there specifically like a certain Vic game that got you hooked? Um, yes, it was uh, 2005, that season. It, the Falcons were playing the Minnesota Vikings in the Georgia Dome. My ex-husband won tickets, some work thing, and so we went. And like I said, I mean, I I loved football. My dad was a football coach. I grew up on a football field. But um, I didn't really follow the NFL, and at that moment, I was hooked. Like, I was just done. Now, I do have to say, and this is also classic Michael Vick, he did get injured toward the end of the second quarter, I think. And so Matt Schaub had to come in for him, which is hilarious because then Schaub ended up coming back and being the being Matt Ryan's backup forever. Um, but yeah, so that was the specific game that really made me love the NFL. And you mentioned you were more of a college fan. You think part of that was because Michael Vick's style was more of a college quarterback style the way he played at that I point in time? Is, I think that that's entirely possible. Because really, I mean, Vic was one of the first guys that really wasn't like your prototypical drop back guy, or at least a guy that you're oh, thinking yeah. picking number one or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he really did play more like a college quarterback. I never really thought about it that way, but that is accurate. Who was your college? Who was your favorite college team? What, what, what college teams did you like? The Ohio State University. Okay, the Ohio State University. How did you yes. feel about the Michigan loss? Um, well, I did not feel great about it, but, um, my husband is also a Michigan fan, (laughs) Patriots fan and Michigan fan. That is really fun. And so, um, thankfully he did not rub it in because I, I never do either the many, many times that Ohio state has beaten Michigan. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had beaten them so many times in a row. You know, it's gotta happen sometime. We got it out of the way. It's fine we can go back to building a new winning streak next year. Ryan Day, are you sold on him? Because I, I know a few Ohio State fans are like, I don't know about Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually am. I think that he typically does a really good job, especially with like halftime adjustments, um, which is, if you have a coach who isn't good at that, it's one of the most frustrating things. Um, this year was going to be a little bit more of a down year because they had a new quarterback coming in and they turned over a lot of talent to the draft. But yeah, I think that day is a good coach. And I think that especially he was able to, you know, maintain continuity 
um, for those players when Urban Meyer left. So I think that that helped, um, but that let the Buckeyes continue competing at a higher level. What did you think of the whole Urban Meyer experience in the NFL? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> that was one of the, we are living in the wildest timeline across the board. And that is still one of the craziest things that happened last year. I thought that it was going to be a disaster. Okay. I, I, I just, I know Urban. I know his ego. College kids are very different from grown men who are making millions of dollars. Um, and I mean, you know, the stories came out about like the way that he treated Josh Lambeau um, and things like that. I knew that that was not going to play at the NFL level. And so I did not expect it to be as big of a disaster as it was. I did not expect the the whole situation with the young lady. I did <laughs> not expect him to be kicking his own kicker in the leg. You know, I did not expect a lot of things that opened my heart to this year. <laughs> At what point you're like, yeah, this isn't going to work out? <laughs> um, I think that it was probably when the whole thing with the young lady, because I was like, you know, so the Jaguars had played in Cincinnati. Urban wanted to stay in Ohio because, you know, family lives there. Yeah, the grandkids, the grandkids, but that was yes, the grandkids. <laughs> yeah, I hope that that was not his grandkids. That was, I don't uh, think that was one of the grandkids. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, but like he let his team fly back without their head coach after a loss so that he could go and do that. I can't respect that. And his players can't respect that. That's ridiculous. It's not leadership. And that was definitely the moment that I knew that he was going to be done. Shad Khan took his time with it. I, he's a very proud man. I think that he didn't want to be so wrong about Urban, but he was so wrong about Urban. So I'll ask you this. You said your dad was a football coach. Mm-hmm. Did he ever not ride back with the team? Uh, no, he always rode back. Yeah. <laughs> that, exactly, yeah. The, the, that was the first yeah. mistake Urban made. That was the first. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember going to games that were farther away and like my mom would drive my brother and I behind the team bus because my dad was on the bus. So always, you know, like, I've, I've never heard of such a thing. And like I said, I think that at the NFL, um, I think that NFL players deserve respect. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't respect their coach. But I think that, you know, when you're grown adults working together, I think that there has there should be mutual respect. Yeah. And he did not respect his players at all by yeah. choosing to do that. And it would have been bad enough just not going on the team fight without the video coming out. Yeah. What made it even crazier is he already did a taboo in not coming back. He said he was going to spend time with the family. You know, maybe everybody's like, okay, you can do that. But then to, like, yeah. flagrantly get caught, like, not doing that. That's yeah, I, it was just... It, it's like the person who says they can't show up to a shift at work because they had a death in the family. And then you see them at a nightclub on, like, video. Like, it just... It just exactly. It just does. It doesn't play well because it's just like okay, you just lie. You just want to play. You know, you just want to screw around. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Urban. Uh, how do you think? Or how, do you? What do you feel about the Urban Meyer experience, though, as just an Ohio State fan when he was there? So it is funny. I went through a whole roller coaster of emotions. Um, I remember when 
when they were going to hire him, I was like, I don't even know if I can root for this team anymore because I was so salty about him at Florida. I am very dramatic about sports, by the way. And so my dad and I were like, oh, like we're so mad. And then he started winning, and we're like, man, this is actually pretty great. And then, you know, when the whole thing about Zach Smith um, came out and, the you know, the way that that was handled, uh, that was really disappointing for me. But, you know, I mean, the... Ohio State handled it the way that they handled it, you know, um, I was willing to move on. Um, but then I was not sorry to see him go, to be honest, when he decided to step down. Um, I thought that that was probably what was best for the team. And I just, I, I questioned his ability to lead after the way that he handled things with Zach Smith. Because he was suspended that year. Cause, and ironically, uh-huh. I, I don't think this was coincidentally that this happened, by the way. I don't know if it was the system. Maybe it was the system. I don't know. That's a story for another day because then he came back to coaching, so maybe the system wasn't a big deal. Uh, but he did say the system, but, and there was really no plans for him to retire before that season until, like, the whole Zach Smith thing came out. So I don't know if that drained him or there were people in Iowa State saying, this isn't a kind of a good look. Maybe you have to step down. You can pick your successor in yeah. Ryan Day. But I think a lot of that Zach Smith stuff had to do with maybe him leaving maybe – Maybe even a few years more prematurely than he thought he was going to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that could very well be. Because that that whole story was always nuts. And he was like, "Yep, I never, <laughs> I never knew anything." It was like, oh. <laughs> it was like, okay. He's, I don't know. That, I always found that, that that was always very curious to me about how Urban got away with that one. Yes. Well, and I mean, he's got a history of leaving jobs in weird ways. Like when he retired, retired from Florida to spend more time with his family. And the next thing you know, he's getting hired at Ohio State. (laughs) Okay. Is Michigan the team you hate most in college? Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be Alabama. Um, No, you know, I don't really hate teams other than Michigan. Like, Alabama, I don't like them, but I actually, I think that I feel a little bad for them because I know Georgia fans can be insufferable and they're really giving it to them uh, this year. So, yeah, I don't I don't really mind Alabama, um, but Michigan, jeez Louise, I just cannot stand them. But isn't Michigan less of a threat now? I mean, they haven't been relevant in like 10 years. Yeah, and they went to the playoffs this year, though, and they retained Harbaugh. And so, you know, he's already got this team in good shape. Um, they're competitive again. We'll see if they are next year. But, yeah. Who's your favorite Ohio State quarterback? Uh, my favorite of all time? Oh, my gosh. This is a tough question. Um, <laughs> Cardale Jones, actually. It's not that tough of a question. It is Cardale Jones. Oh, why is it Card? I mean, obviously, Cardale, third stringer, leads them to a championship, but... <laughs> Yes, well, but it wasn't just that. He really stepped up. Like, imagine being the third-string quarterback for Ohio State, and all of a sudden you're the only guy left who can play in the inaugural college playoffs. And then you go in there with your gigantic arm, and you just dismantle Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And then you go and you win a national championship, or the first, you know, playoff, college football playoff ever. And so, yeah, um, Cardale Jones is my favorite. That's a good pick. That was a great run. And Ezekiel Elliott played fantastic. That was... Yes, he did. He was so much fun to watch. 
So, Gina, I want to you come on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I want to thank Jeannie Thomas for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 406th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.